come from the earth, we come, we are a product of nature. And so when you work with nature, you you interact with with maybe the essence of what you are or from where you come from. The vitality there is in nature, in plants, in the animal world, or the, 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 the response, something as inert or dumb looking as earth, the response it gives you when you work with it, when you dig it and all, is, is difficult to describe in words what it is, but it is very deep, it is very transformative. It is very touching. The year is 1968. It's been about 20 years since Sri Aurobindo, who was a poet, a philosopher and a yogi, left his body, leaving behind the spiritual practice of integral yoga along with the philosophy and vision to transform and evolve human life on Earth. To create a place which could embody the evolution of consciousness and to ground the philosophy of integral yoga on earth, Sri Aurobindo's spiritual collaborator, Mira Alfasa, known as the mother, founded Aurobil. A universal town where men and women of all countries are able to live in peace and progressive harmony above all creeds, all politics and all nationalities. The purpose of Aurobil is to realize human unity. She put out an invitation, all those who thirst for progress and aspire to a higher and truer life, to come and build Auroville on a parched piece of severely eroded land on the southeast coast of Tamil Nadu in India. The response to this call was heeded by many who left their lives behind and came to build Auroville, on caravans, on planes, on foot, some even on horsebacks. What is unique is uh, there was the central force, what the mother and Orville represent, the essence of Orville, that should be an international community that works in the matter, right? that puts its consciousness in matter. And uh, it was said in the beginning from people with higher consciousness, maybe, that even the land of Orville was aspiring. Um, the transformation that's required at this juncture in human uh, development on this planet with the multiple crises that we are going through is of a nature where we have to evolve to a point where we can be in harmony with the rest of life. Uh, and that is, you know, uh, in a way that is quite, uh, uh, quite a difficult um, thing to be able to even think of. Because usually in our lives we are on the grind, nine to five job and debt and house and you know, you keep going. And when you are in that grind, you're not able to step back and think of these things. Whereas in Oroville, you can. Uh, and so these deeper aspects of why we're doing what we're doing, I think there's room to question that, room to say, uh, this is what I believe in and this is why I'm doing it. There is. Uh, a commitment to find alternatives to the kind of systems, whether it's systems of food, of education, of governance, of um, just being, being in relationships, all of that. Um, there's a commitment towards finding out what else is possible. 
and and that that nature of experimentation itself that we are trying something and we could fail and that's okay um is uh, is quite special my name is deepthi and i'm one of the research fellows joining with the grounded imaginaries project i live and volunteer in the green belt of oroville in this episode you will hear snippets from gopal a steward of a forest park called darkali and dipika and bernard the stewards of a farm and forest called pebble garden punctuated by insights from a resident of another forest community lakshmi who works in the field of environmental sustainability and is a passionate facilitator inquiring into the human nature relationship let's see what we can learn from their experiences in oroville and what can be gleaned from the play of integral yoga and integral ecology to deepen our understanding of the grounded imaginaries that the planet asks of us today being a community which aspires to be a living laboratory for human evolution oroville as a community is home to many experiments Today it is inhabited by over 3000 people from over 60 countries and is home to many endeavors in the field of green work sustainability holistic living etc etc all strung together with a common thread an interest in the evolution of consciousness to participate in society while observing one's own actions and reactions to transform oneself while working on shared and lived reality The Green Belt of Oroville is no exception. In fact, many foresters refer to the origins of green work in Oroville as a sort of accidental environmentalism. The foundations of this thriving ecosystem we see today were birthed by those who followed the invitation to come to Oroville in the early days. They came without any expertise in ecology, but certainly with a lot of aspiration. What motivated them to help create this beautiful green patch in a thirsty nearly abandoned land? Be my co-passenger and as you hear the adventurous stories of outer transformation, also listen deeply to the inner transformation that is alluded to. Here's Lakshmi sharing what these forests mean to her and I deeply resonate. The forests of Oroville for me they're the biggest inspiration because they are man-made. uh because i at the moment through my project in a climate academy and and for a long time in my life have been very interested in the human nature relationship aspect of all of these things and um the fact that these forests exist um to me makes it worth living on this planet that we are capable as a species to do this um makes it worthwhile um and you know i've heard so many stories of um old time orvillians who are foresters who were planting trees in very hard times and there were sandstorms and um i think of that commitment and i often question whether my own commitment to the earth would it go that far you know imagine being 9 months pregnant and being lifted by a sandstorm and yet staying back to water the trees what what does it take what transformation needs to happen inside me that my commitment is so strong to this earth so these are questions that i think is alive around us with these forests 
And I believe that that is a question that as a species we have to ask ourselves. What is the commitment to be alive on this planet? To be alive the way the planet wants us to be right now. Because I think we have come to that crossroads now, you know, as a species on this planet, what would it take for us and our future generation to live and thrive beautifully on this planet? And I think the story of Oroville has a lot to contribute to that. Gopal has known Oroville from its very beginning. He arrived at its once barren landscape when he was about six or seven years, when Oroville was just starting to take its form. My mother and I were selected by mother to come to Oroville. So we moved to Oroville. Moved to Oroville is a big word because there was no Oroville. There was nothing, literally just a few huts. So, yeah, very red, very dusty, very, very barren, very silent, but intense. In many ways, very intense. There was something about this land that was raw and intense and was like a land on fire. And the only thing, it was very flat because even though the center of Oroville is at around 50 plus meters, it's a very gentle, gradual slope. So it didn't look like a, a, hill, a hill, so to speak. The only thing that contrasted this flatness was the canyons. And the canyons were really, really impressive. They were big, they were deep because they were the result of decades, if not centuries of erosion. The monsoons were very impressive, although it still happens to a small amount, small degree now. Back then, it used to last for months. The sea would literally turn red, absolutely red, because all of this earth was getting washed away through these uh, two, three canyons that uh, finished their way into the uh, on the coastline. So for months, the sea was just red, blood red, literally. The, the the work done on the on the transformation of the land is is huge. Is I don't think we can begin to even measure it, quantify it, or describe it because it is it is really like the work of ants. Each and every human has been doing his little thing day in and day out, monsoon after monsoon, summer after summer, learning, progressing, doing. I mean, how did so little people do so much with such little means in, in such a short span of time? Because again, 50 years in, in terms of ecology is very little. It's almost nothing. Oroville's history has seen the transformation of a barren plateau to a thriving, alive green land today. I really recommend seeing the award-winning documentary Everslow Green by Christophe Paul, who's a forester himself. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's a great source of backstories as the documentary traces the unique journey of Oroville's foresting experience through the wider context of the 40-plus forest communities which make up the Green Belt. The journey began by planting anything that they could get their hands on in the early days and slowly advancing to build a canopy that would provide shade and prevent erosion. When looking for indigenous species that would grow in this harsh climate, the foresters learned about the Tropical Dry Evergreen Forest, or TDEF. They discovered some surviving fragments of sacred groves along the coast, but other than that, this forest type was basically extinct at that time. Bringing it back, collecting and germinating the seeds and planting the TDEF gave a sense of purpose and direction, and it is here that a forgotten ecosystem blooms today. However, 
Oroville is not just an afforestation project. Like we said before, it's an experimental lab for human evolution. And through our conversations with these stewards, this is what we will focus on in this episode. From their vast experiences steeped in a lived spirituality, a grounded experience in holistic science, they will lead us through magical encounters that they witnessed as they grew and adapted to an unusual approach that embraced all that is alive. Because I think there is a big gap uh, at the moment where, um, you know, we have the environmentalists who are fighting for climate. We have, um, we have the eco-spiritual ones who are talking about something else. And there's a big gap between them because the, the people who work in the inner dimensions of things may not have had any experience of actually being in a forest. And what it takes and what, you know, what it asks from you. Um, and, and I think that gap has to merge somewhere. And, and I believe that uh, the pioneers in Oroville uh, and the story of Oroville may provide um, a bridge. When I arrived in Oroville, I was a kid. Eventually, I grew up to become an adult. And there, at some point, you say, well, what are you going to do? And for me, what I wanted to do was not plant trees. It was to do sadhana. In other words, uh, a method of self-change and self-perfection and self-purification and so on and so forth. So I was fortunate enough to, to combine a, a, a beautiful job, which helps the planet on the ecological level, and a job which is of self-transformation. Uh, so for me, it was relatively simple to, to, to do this in an attitude that was orientated not so much to having the tree grow, but having the human that planted the tree grow. And I think the first thing that the land and this job taught me is humility, that's for sure. Humility, because when you look at nature, when you look at even the earth, it is so much more intelligent than us, yet it never ever boasts about it or imposes its superiority and its intelligence on, on people. And what's original about maybe the way we've worked is that we have not imposed on nature a plan, a design, but rather learned to, to, to become open to what nature has to teach us about beauty, rather than impose our beauty on it. And, and, and that can only happen when you have a, a contact of, of, I would say, love and joy with the land. So the work we were doing, the work we are doing, is, is, is a job that gives us great joy, and it is a piece of land that we really love. During the monsoon, for example, when most people will huddle in with a warm cup of tea, we go around slough, 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 looking at every little little uh, water flow and all because it's it's the land. We are, we are happy. We are we are outside. We are we are with the land. You know why should we be in hiding in a house? The land is outside. The land doesn't have a house, and we are with it. We are working with it. It is our friend, our guide, our colleague, our everything. So nature really does speak in, in every way. It speaks visually, it speaks uh, audibly, it speaks with smells, with vibrations, with, with so many things, so many things. It's just us that are completely 
dumb and numb and, and do not hear anything other than just the bird sounds, if at all, or, or, or things else. But everything really speaks. And I don't mean that in a holistic or in a mumbo-jumbo way. It's science. It's really science. It really does speak. And that by far has been one of the most interesting uh, um, interaction with this place. By the time we managed to get the means to do a little more of landscaping and water catchment, there was already a lot of trees, a lot of bushes, a lot of this, a lot of that. So it's completely the other way around. Normally you do your hardscape first and then you do your softscape. In our case, we actually did the first, the, the softscape, and then we were given the means to do the hardscape. Sometimes we would spend days, if not months, trying to find some uh, the path that is in harmony with the place, but at the same time that, that, that is also aesthetically beautiful. And ironically, uh, quite often, you know what defines the paths? It's actually the mongoose trails. Because when they, they walk, they, they seem to follow some sort of, they don't follow the closest, uh, the shortest routes. They follow some, I don't know, energetic thing or whatever. They, they, they wind around and they leave literally a little trail because they always use these paths. So when you spot these, you say, oh, but actually that is not only it's an it's a, it's a intelligent path, but it's also aesthetical compared to the rest of the environment. So then you prune a bit or you might remove one or two bushes or something and then you clean that place, you, you add earth, you, you know, you plaster it with harder earth and all and you make a park path there. And, and like that for everything, the water catchments, where we dig, where we bund, where we do landscaping features, where we make the roads, the paths, where we replant, is all inspired by the place itself. We have till date never imposed something on the place. So yeah, beautiful, incredible learning process of how to integrate beauty, function and purpose into nature rather than impose our limited perception of beauty, function and purpose onto nature, which is so much wiser than us. From Darkali, let's travel across the landscape to Pebble Garden, stewarded by Bernard and Deepika. Pebble Garden, as described in its name, is a land of pebbles. Hardly any soil when Deepika and Bernard started working on it in 1994. Bernard's journey with green work coincided with the revival of organic farming in India, in which he played a crucial role, bringing about the practice of regenerative farming. His extensive work over 47 years centered around soil regeneration, farming, discovery of pioneer species and forestry, along with many other adventurers of his time. Deepika's learning curve brought her out of an urban life to a life lived on and with the land, eventually finding the most fulfillment in seed saving. You'd know it if you meet her. She embodies the stories of seeds which travel all over the country. My name is Deepika. And uh, I came to Aurul in 1994. I was born and grew up in cities all over India. I didn't feel that was the life I wanted to live in a city. Everything about it at some point started feeling uh, unreal. 
and uh, fake because after all we belong to the natural world and there is a kind of hunger in all of us to uh, to find our real place in nature and so it, there was a kind of a unarticulated spiritual quest and that's uh, how i came to landed up in oroville very magically so i wanted to learn my education was to go down to earth and see if i could reeducate myself like that uh, so that hands on work was one the second one was uh, i had a very big personal urge to work in solitude because i felt that is the only way in which you can pay attention um to your work and learn and since i was starting from scratch without any knowledge i don't come from a farming background i know nothing about plants i don't know how to work i don't have the physical discipline or the skills so it was a big task before me and i felt that i have to work uh, in solitude and focus on that in order to learn and my third wish that i was that i want to be in a spiritual environment uh, an environment that gives you the freedom to explore uh, how to develop yourself uh, given your uh, you know your inner needs but uh, but uh, the these use of pioneer species as a tool to regenerate uh, eroded lands that is um, beca- it's because of that that we were able to uh, do this work without any external inputs so that was one of the principles that we uh, followed when we came here and started working at pebble garden that uh, we want to regenerate the place we want to uh, in- reintroduce the uh, native forest species we want to reclaim the land for uh, food crops uh, but we don't want to bring external inputs so that is a very big challenge because what do you do on land that uh, is uh, is eroded where there is no topsoil where you know a deeper strata of uh, pebbles from a river that flowed here 20 million years back when that has come to the surface now and there is only soil uh, like a little clay between the pebbles how then do you uh, build up soil to grow uh, field crops you know how do you then plant trees in that you know we use pioneer select plant species uh, to start up the process and they are hardy plants that have the ability to colonize pebble land without any effort just throw the seeds and they germinate and they spread and within 3 years they provide biomass there's leaf litter then there is woody biomass in the stems and the the twigs and the trunk and all of this can then be recycled and uh, it also creates shade it invites birds and um, then there are little shady uh, niches where you can uh, then plant indigenous trees so that has really been the key aspect of our uh, regeneration work and we also did not bring any uh, did not want to bring any manure from outside so no soil from outside and no biomass also from outside for the same reason I mean, the, the reason for this is uh is that if we bring soil from somewhere else uh, we are creating a desert somewhere else to regenerate this land so we were really particular about that and especially because banand had a background of uh, being in the organic farming uh, revival movement uh, that uh, that this uh, this is not acceptable as a solution 
and uh, we were also very aware uh, uh, he was aware through his travels earlier to different parts of india and also during the training programs we did as part of the palmyra training center uh, that there is 93 million hectares of eroded land in india 93 million hectares of land are severely affected by water erosion and uh, our kind of land here at pebble garden and also other places in norwell where there are gullies those are seriously affected by water has carved out gullies water has taken away the uh, soil and uh, because we have a rainfall here which is very intense uh now anytime now our monsoon will start and between october and december uh we can get three quarter uh, of our annual rainfall in this period and sometimes you will get one fourth of that the entire annual rainfall in one day so uh, when the forests were cut the original forests were cut uh the whole land was thrown open to all the destructive forces of uh, of nature because there were no roots no trees no vegetation nothing uh to hold the soil together and that's how the land uh, you know was eroded so we so we yes in the you know if we want to come up with a kind of a acceptable solution to this problem of uh, wastelands in india we have to find something which is really a solution which is not going to create a problem somewhere else and this this is a way which uh, because of the detailed study that banard and many other early pioneers did on what plants can colonize this kind of difficult land it required a lot of trial and error and actually hunting for plants that would succeed and after, there was a lot of groundwork before uh, you know before we started pebble garden actually the key element in our regeneration is the termite activity mm. you know on land like this we would not have been able to regenerate this land if it was totally dead and if there was no uh, soil uh, organisms so the moment we establish the pioneer plants uh, and the leaves fall to the ground and then it rains on top of the dry leaves the first thing we noticed were that termites magically appear and the termite activity what do the termites do they you know they cover the organic matter with a layer of uh, soil because they need that shelter to co- consume to work on the organic matter and carry it down into their underground burrows you know so that was what struck us like where are they getting the soil from how come there is now a layer of soil over the leaves they go between the pebbles and they grain by grain they bring the uh, the the clay that is stuck between the pebbles they bring it to the surface so a job that we can't do it's humanly impossible to separate the the clay that is stuck to the pebbles from the pebbles but they are able to do it and uh, this is they are, after the plants it was the termites which have helped us uh, regenerate the land and these we could see but there may be so many other organisms that uh, you know that developed at the same time because if you move any pile of uh, leaves aside you see so many insects you know like moving around but termites they brought the soil on top of the layer of leaves and that soil then got washed into the ponds and that's how we uh, got the silt to build up our, our soil
so the first were the termites then came the birds uh, and uh, then came the bees after 10 years of regeneration uh, the bees appeared you can't separate the fauna from the flora it's all one organism and that is the challenge to find our place in all that you know how can we become like part of that without disrupting that this fantastic balance of life that you see in nature uh, i've traveled to quite a few places in india there's a lot of consciousness to plant trees even in cities people protest when trees are cut but the afforestation work of orville it is really unique because it's 50 years old and it is follows an ecosystem approach it's not just replanting for many other people they they make a list of trees and plant those trees but here we are recreating the entire ecosystem and that's why it isn't only trees you know we are not just it's not just a tree that makes a forest there are shrubs there are climbers herbaceous plants and very closely uh, you know the well-being of all this is linked with all the associated fauna with the uh, the bats the uh, the all the uh, birds which disperse the fruits which eat the fruits and the, all the wildlife so it's really a unique uh, work of orville that uh, uh, it needs to be highlighted for its holistic thing it isn't simply <coughs> planting trees it is recreating an environment uh, without which humanity can't su- survive and uh, definitely the last um, 50 to 75 years has shown us that uh, this crisis of our civilization now is basically an environmental crisis and uh, it, this can't go on we can't go on looting the soils we can't go on cutting all other vegetation at one point uh, you know humans will not be able to exist without all that it's a simple small ecological imbalance i mean human unity is possible only if humans are there right so if we come to a point when humans cannot be there where is the u- question of unity you have to first be make sure that humans will continue to live in this place we are experimenting towards an evolution of consciousness we are not evolved yet and it is not a cozy journey it is not a chai latte uh, yoga class kind of journey it requires us to break down and then bring the pieces back together individually and collectively and that's not going to be easy at all so the first thing yeah working with earth and 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 nature teaches you is a great sense of humility then after you 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 go down into into the essence of the core of sadhana you it it helps you develop the qualities you need to do your sadhana perseverance endurance self offering nature is a fantastic thing to to work on your ego because it's slow you know the thing of being in the earth is a very humbling and a very powerful experience it's, i don't i don't know earth 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 is full of mysteries full of vibrations full of sounds that are silent full of words that are unspoken 
so when you're there digging and then you you, you pick up the earth with your mumty you you're often in the earth and because of the sense of striving for perfection we go down to you know collecting the last little crumbs with our hands so when you are in this hole there is something very you 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 can almost hear the whispers of the earth and what it has to say i mean it's been around for millions of years you can imagine what it has witnessed what, what knowledge it has what what it has to say i can only not even begin to imagine i don't have that capacity but but I do, I am open to that there is something, you know, and, 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 and it is, it is impressive, it is humbling, it is intriguing. Like you heard, working with the land is an experience that is hard to describe. By being around these foresters and working with them, by living close to the forests that have been nourished with a lot of commitment and love, one gets to learn so much across many dimensions. I am filled with gratitude to every soul who contributed and continues to contribute to this work. This episode was a very brief peek into Oroville's Grounded Imaginaries. This work is ongoing. On many a day, I deeply wish for more of us humans to explore an integral connection with Mother Earth. Living in the green belt of Oroville and attempting to understand the alternative imaginary from Oroville makes me engage into the deeper realms of evolution of consciousness. The inspiration from this journey with the grounded imaginaries will always live on, like the goodwill of the many who contributed to it. In the next episode, we will be travelling to northern India, to two villages in the Uttarakhand region, where regenerative farming responses to climate change effects on the land has created leadership opportunities for women in the community. This episode was produced by the Grounded Imaginaries Research Project, funded by the Vikan Rasmussen Foundation. The project partners are Sydney Environment Institute, Social Entrepreneurship Association, Oroville, and India and Bharat together. To stay on this journey with us, follow the project on Instagram at grounded underscore imaginaries and tell us what questions and ideas are alive for you. Help us share this podcast series far and wide to inspire communities in all pockets of the world facing the reality of climate change that an alternative future is possible. <laughs>